This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. The Chesapeake Bay dominates eastern Virginia, but the watershed extends well into West Virginia. And some of the species found here are indicators of the health of the bay. The native trout species, eastern brook trout, are the um, species that is most sensitive to changes in water quality, in particular water temperature. That story and more this West Virginia Morning. Early voting gets underway today in West Virginia. Randy Yowie has more. Early in-person voting runs from October 26th until November 5th. Check with your local county clerk's office for locations. Voters can request an absentee ballot by getting an application from their local clerk's office or online. That application needs to be mailed or hand-delivered by November 2nd. Completed absentee ballots must be mailed and postmarked by November 8th, Election Day. Secretary of State Mac Warner says it's vital to understand there are four different amendment issues on this ballot. He asks all voters to read and research each amendment before they vote. At that point, it's too late to start asking questions about what does this mean or the nuances of it. And that also can cause delays at the polling places. You can find the stories about all four amendments on the West Virginia Public Broadcasting website. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. Environmental health specialists from Kanawha and Fayette counties tested wells along Paint Creek following an August 24th truck crash on the West Virginia Turnpike that spilled chemical surfactant. In letters mailed to Paint Creek residents, the Kanawha, Charleston and Fayette County Health Department said there were trace amounts of the chemical detected in 19 hand-dug or shallow wells. Health officials said residents who have properly constructed private wells were not affected by the spill. The health departments recommend people avoid drinking water from hand-dug or shallow wells. The West Virginia Turnpike was temporarily closed due to the crash. As of yesterday, more than 7,500 West Virginians have died from COVID-19. As Chris Schultz reports, it's a reminder that the pandemic is not over. West Virginia has the fourth highest COVID-19 death rate of any state in the country. For every 100,000 West Virginians, 418 have died from COVID-19, higher than the national average of 321 deaths per 100,000 residents. COVID-19 deaths have slowed. 700 fewer West Virginians died over the past 12 months than during the same period the previous year. As temperatures continue to drop, state leaders have expressed concern that colder weather and a resurgent influenza virus will bring another wave of death this winter. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. In the next story, we're taking a look at the county hit hardest by COVID-19. Wetzel County has seen the state's highest rate of COVID deaths. Reporter Amelia Nicely looked into how the pandemic has impacted its community. In northern West Virginia, nestled right below the state's northern panhandle is Wetzel County. It's small and rural. The Ohio River snakes past the county seat of New Martinsville, birthplace to famed West Virginia University football coach Bill Stewart. The county is home to around 14,000 people and has experienced the state's highest rate of death from COVID-19. One out of every 157 people have died from the virus, according to state health department data. 
funeral homes just having two and three and four funerals a week, which is not normal here. Carla McBee is the county medical examiner. She said the local funeral homes couldn't keep up with the demand at the height of the pandemic. McBee also responded to the pandemic as a county commissioner, who approved an additional $200,000 in funds to agencies for protective gear and for the local food pantry to help the increased number of people who were out of work and in need of food. We have had lots of agencies in here saying our budget is max. Can you assist us with funding? And we have. 92 people have died in Wetzel County from COVID-19. For such a small county, that represents nearly double the national average of COVID-19 deaths. For comparison, Kanawha, which is the state's most populated county with more than 180,000 residents, has seen 810 COVID-19 deaths, and the death rate there is one out of every 223 people. The rate of death in Wetzel County stretched other agencies to their limit. Steve Yoho, director of the Office of Emergency Services, said the department stopped planning for natural disasters and other emergencies and instead focused on helping the health department. But to put on the the clinics and do testing and do, you know, do shots and, you know, for basically for a two-year period, we didn't do emergency management. We became part of the health department. Employees with the Wetzel Tyler Health Department have been on the front lines of the pandemic, serving a largely elderly population. DHHR data shows around 80 percent of residents 61 and older have been fully vaccinated against the virus, 5 percent higher than the state's average. Health Department Administrator Ashley Geiler said they didn't have enough staff to keep up with the state requirements for pandemic response. The local health departments were not provided any funding to allow us to obtain any more staff to actually fight COVID-19, so we relied on our community partners to volunteer for us. We had a lot of retired nurses. We had a lot of EMS people join us to administer the shots on the days off from their regular jobs. The all-hands-on-deck response to the pandemic meant other health department programs like preventative care and women's health care were stalled for two years. Now on the rebound, we're seeing an increase in cancer. We're seeing an increase in you know, chronic diseases. The pandemic has impacted Wetzel County in another way, according to McBee, as it overlapped with the county's problems with substance abuse disorder. I believe our issues are, you know, a lot of poverty in our counties. We don't have a lot of jobs in our county. People just don't see a way out, and they don't have the finance finances to get a way out, and um, so they turn to drugs. Nationwide, drug overdose deaths accelerated during the pandemic. In West Virginia, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data showed nearly twice as many people died from an overdose in 2022 compared to 2016. Most people tell me that they do it because they lack coping skills. Um, I don't see that getting any better. I just think everything looks bleak, and that's why people started. For Appalachian Health News, I'm Amelia Nicely. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. Scattered rain this morning, areas of fog, breezy at times today with high temperatures in the 50s. Cloudy tonight, lows in the 40s. Tomorrow, gradual clearing with highs in the 50s and 60s. 
Support for WVPB is provided by Appalachian Power, committed to our customers, communities, and state through corporate philanthropy, volunteerism, customer service, and economic development. More at AppalachianPower.com. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation recently awarded the West Virginia Land Trust a grant for habitat restoration in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Curtis Tate spoke with Mike Slatterly, Landscape Partnership Coordinator for the Services Northeast Region, about how the health of species in West Virginia can affect the bay. The Chesapeake Bay is a few hundred miles away from the headwaters in West Virginia. How do you connect the health of those streams to the health of the bay? For a very long time, um, you know, uh, not so much anymore, but for a very long time, the way that the Chesapeake Bay program operated with its focus on the main stem and with um, Maryland and, and Virginia and, you know, Pennsylvania as primary partners to begin with, and then eventually extending to the other watershed states, that legacy really resulted in um, an inadvertent um, alienation of uh, communities and, and, uh, and uh, almost a, a neglect of the needs of those communities when it comes to the resources of the Chesapeake Bay program. Uh, because, you know, I've, as I've been fond of saying, you know, in the past, um, you know, when I, when you when you're out in West Virginia, people aren't really. I mean, they might care how the crabs are doing or what's happening with the oyster population, but they're much more concerned about, um, you know, how well brook trout populations are doing or the quality of the water in the streams that run through their backyards. You know, um, and uh, it's it's very important for us to not only recognize that, but to continue to provide even more resources to connect those communities who have legitimately felt disenfranchised from um, Chesapeake Bay restoration activities in the past. What's the significance of the brook trout? Brook trout are um, cold water species. You know, there are only native trout species in in the Chesapeake watershed. I, I, I know you're probably aware that, you know, people love to fish for brown trout and rainbows. Neither of those is native. Um, that's not to say that their naturalized populations don't have a place in our ecosystem. Clearly, they do now is um, important to recreation. But really, you know, the, the, um, the native trout species, eastern brook trout, are the um, species that is most sensitive to changes in water quality, in particular water temperature. They're very reliant on cold, clean, fast-flowing streams in order to reproduce and support sustainable populations. Uh, and, um, and so uh, we really look at them as a species that's representative of cold headwater systems, and not only for the sake of brook trout and other aquatic organisms that share those habitats, uh, but in terms of the, um, you know, the the ecological health of the watershed, the subwatersheds that drain to those areas as well. Um, you know, what, what's happening in the water is really t- determined by what is going on on the land. 
And brook trout are a really strong indicator of that. How do you gain the trust of landowners? The culture in some communities is um, quite a quite averse to um, cooperating in those ways, particularly if it was just you know us, the Fish and Wildlife Service, the federal government. We're the federal government. We're here to help you, landowner in West Virginia, do you know everything that you've always wanted to do. You know that's sometimes met with a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of cynicism, and understandably so. Um, and we that's why we rely on. Um, those partners of ours who have built trusting relationships with landowners in the places where they work um, to to make those connections, um, not for us necessarily, for themselves and for the landowners, um, but you know that enables us to um, you know lean into the trust that they've already built with landowners and to open those doors in that way. It's a you know it's um uh, it's one of the reasons that we um, that we pride ourselves in maintaining the relationships that we have with conservation organizations like Cape and Lost Rivers Land Trust. They've been at it for a long time um, and they are, um, you know, very highly regarded and, um, you know, trusted by the landowners with whom they work. What's an example of a success story? There, there was an instance where there was some federal funding being made available by EPA to um, fence cows out of streams. Landowners were skeptical. You know, they were asking, well, why should we do this? Why should we take advantage of this? And, you know, the the response initially was, well, because, you know, the Bay Program is interested in, in improving the quality of Chesapeake Bay, and it's important that we reduce the flow of nutrients and sediments into the watershed wherever they occur. And, and you know, it was that same old at the time um, line of reasoning that was really kind of falling on deaf ears out in the headwaters. Um, and, but there was, a, there was a landowner or two that took advantage of it um, and worked with Fish and Wildlife Services, West Virginia Field Office and Trout Unlimited, and, and all of a sudden had brook trout populations thriving again where they hadn't before. That was Mike Slattery, Landscape Partnership Coordinator for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, speaking with Curtis Tate. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, David Adkins, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.